0: I'm going to be very brief in my opening comments. I know that uh, Senator McCain is here uh, to introduce, as he should, his wife Cindy, and I know he has other things to do. So I just want to briefly say that earlier this week I had the opportunity to meet with students of three different universities in Tennessee. And this issue that we're highlighting today, um, modern slavery and human trafficking, is something that I don't. I haven't seen an issue that touches young people like this issue, and their concern for people all across our country, but around the world, um, they're moved to when they understand there are 27 million people in the world today that are in slavery, that 26% of those people are in sexual servitude, uh, and they want to do something about it. This committee unanimously last year voted uh, to pass the End Modern Slavery Act. Um, It is a a bill that hopefully will be on the Senate floor soon. We received an appropriation earlier this year of $25 million to begin a worldwide effort that will match public and private resources. What we find each year is that people come before us looking for incremental help in dealing with this issue, and yet we want to address this issue not unlike we did with uh, HIV-AIDS, where we pull together the world to end modern slavery. Uh, today we have uh, uh, tremendous advocates here that will be introduced in just a moment. We have true extraordinary women that have dealt firsthand with this issue and shown tremendous courage. We thank you for being here to share your stories. And with that, I'll turn it over to uh, turn the meeting over to our distinguished ranking member and tremendous partner, Ben Cardin. Well, thank you,
1: Chairman Corker, and I, I personally want to thank Chairman Corker for his passionate leadership on this issue. He's been an incredible leader, not just on this committee, but in our country on ending modern slavery. And uh, I thank him for that. Today's hearing is just one more chapter in in that record. I'm going to ask consent to put my opening statement in the record uh, because it does express, I think, in more detail some of um, of my uh, priorities in this area. But we are talking about millions of people who are trafficked every year, people who are trafficked for sex trafficking, young girls who are sold into marriage, uh, trafficking that occurs in the labor markets, as we've seen, uh, which is outrageous. Trafficking that is used by terrorist organizations in their uh, recruitment or forcing of their, uh, of their ideology. Uh, it is modern day slavery and we have to do everything we can uh, to end this. I'm proud of the leadership that we've had in the United States. The Trafficking in Persons Report is considered to be the gold standard. Last year, we um, confronted a situation that uh, the Chairman and I and members of this committee and others thought was just uh, trying to politicize the report. We brought uh, a major spotlight to that because we want to make sure we maintain the integrity of the Trafficking in Persons Report. Whenever a foreign leader uh, visits with me, which is kind of regularly, I have the TIP report in front of me. Um, I was with Senator Coons in the southern part of Africa. We raised it. Uh, some of the world leaders were surprised at how much attention we pay to the trafficking in persons report. And they are now spending more attention to that trafficking in persons report. And we're gonna follow up with some of the specific recommendations. And we had the presidents of countries that are now engaged in this issue. So it, it is working. Uh, It's also nice to have Senator McCain here. Uh, uh, Senator McCain, I I think, is one of the great human rights leaders in in the United States Senate. But we have him before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Uh, Mr. Mr. Chairman. I hope we can ask him some questions about his effort as chairman of the Senate Foreign uh, Armed Services Committee trying to steal our committee's jurisdiction. So I hope (laughs) we'll be able to to ask some questions in that regard. But it's a pleasure to have uh, Senator McCain before our committee.
0: In order to uh, show proper respect to Senator McCain, I'm going to ask him if he would to introduce Cindy and uh, and say to him as he does, it sure is a lot more peaceful on this committee now that you're off of it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, and then I'll introduce the other witnesses after that takes place. But uh, seriously, we warmly welcome you and thank you for your leadership I, on national security issues in particular.
2: I, th- I thank you, Mr. Chairman and uh, and Senator Cardin, and uh, I must say that uh, it is with uh, nostalgia that I. Recall my wonderful time on this committee, especially being able to question the credentials of nominees for ambassadorships around the world. <laughs> I,
0: I, I, I dearly
2: miss those days.
0: Yeah. You seem to like those that had actually been to the countries. They were going to be uh, more than the ones that uh, did not. So
1: The nominees you know,
2: appreciate that you're not on the committee. <laughs> <anymore>. <laughs> uh, could I, could I uh, congratulate <clears throat> both you and Senator Carton? Uh, who work in a bipartisan fashion. <clears throat> Recently, a uh, resolution passed this committee and overwhelmingly in the House and Senate in response to the Korean activity. Uh, I, I think we can be so proud of the Magnitsky Act and the effects that it has had. And uh, this committee has uh in a bipartisan fashion, uh, led the Congress uh, and the nation. And I'm very proud of the leadership, and especially proud of the partnership that uh, Senator Cardin and Senator Corker, neither of whom speak English very well, <coughs> but um, have, uh, have have accomplished. And I'm very appreciative of that. I, I, I've, we have just wonderful witnesses here today. And I thank you for having this hearing. I'll be very, very brief except to say that I'm very proud of Cindy McCain's uh, work on this issue. Uh, <clears throat> she has traveled the world, but she's also spent time <clears throat> in our state, a border state, where cross-border trafficking is still a very, very serious issue. Um, <clears throat> we have experts here to talk about it, including Cindy and in her great work. I'd just like to point out that all of us have a story, and we will hear stories today. There's a story of a young woman named Kayla Mueller, from Prescott, Arizona. She went to Syria on purely humanitarian motivation. She was working in a hospital in Aleppo. She was captured <clears throat> by ISIS, um, was killed eventually, and uh, it, it's, it's after being hostage under terrible conditions. We honor her, we honor her memory, we honor her dedication and her humanitarian behavior, which is so characterizes so many young Americans today who want to combat evil and to do humanitarian things throughout the world. Uh, Kayla Mueller, to me, epitomizes the young women and young men in the world that need our protection and need our help and need us to eradicate this evil, which with the increase in crises and conflict around the world, is as Cindy and the other witnesses will testify, is not on the decrease, it's on the increase. So I thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, for having this hearing and uh, I'm proud of uh, Cindy's work and I think you'll find her to be a far more
0: articulate spokesperson on this issue than I am. Thank you. I don't think there's any question about that, but (laughs) we do thank you very much for being here and know that you have other business. Uh, We thank you for your leadership on so many issues and and, uh, look forward to Cindy's comments in just a moment. Our second witness is Maurice Middleburg. Mr. Middleburg is executive director for Free the Slaves, an international NGO established to combat human trafficking and slavery around the world. Free the Slaves focuses its efforts on identifying at-risk communities and vulnerable individuals to help them avoid being enslaved and to, be, and to free enslaved individuals. We thank you for your efforts and your willingness to be with us today. Our third we- witness is Evelyn Chumbo, pronounced correctly. Yes. Ms. Chumbo is a survivor advocate who was brought to the United States from Cameroon at the age of nine and then forced into servitude. Ms. Chumbo was 17 years old before she was able to escape. She was appointed to the United States Advisory Council on Human Trafficking by President Obama in in December 2015. And again, thank you so much for being here. Our last witness is Leah. Our last witness, Leah, is a human trafficking survivor and is an advocate for the major anti-slavery organization A21. We had a number of A21 representatives in Nashville on Monday morning. inspiring what is happening uh, through your organization. For seven years, she lost her freedom. Um, I watched a video last night, by the way, that documented much of of what you'll have to say today. It's very moving. The 821 Campaign is a nonprofit that works to fight human trafficking, including sexual exploitation and forced slave labor. Um, All of your written comments will be entered into the record without objection if each of you, um, I know Cindy's been here many times, but if each you would summarize in about five minutes and then there will be questions. We thank you all for being here and if we could, let's just go in the order that you were introduced and begin with Cindy.
3: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Um, Senator Senator Corker and Senator Cardin, I really appreciate you offering me the opportunity to be here and to talk on an issue that's very, obviously very close to my heart. Um, Most importantly, uh, I'm honored to be here because it's the day before end it, the end it day. And uh, that brings to to light so many facets of human trafficking that that are all too often not understood. But first I'd like to commend the committee for focusing attention on this issue and you, Mr. Chairman, for your leadership on this topic and for your authorship of the End Modern Slavery Initiative Act along with Senator Menendez. I look forward to seeing its passage and its implementation. I'm also honored to testify alongside uh, Mr. Maurice Middleberg uh, from Free the Slaves. Uh, I have followed Mr. Middleburg, and I uh, have watched what you do, and on behalf of the victims around the world, thank you for what you do, and, and our other members. Thank you. I'm, I'm very honored to be here at the same table as you all. Um, as you know, human trafficking is a per- pervasive problem touching every state in our nation and every country around the world. But it is such an insidious horrible, uh, and horrible act and underreported. Accurate statistics on the number of victims and traffickers are very difficult to produce. Sex trafficking of minors is particularly hard to estimate as the victims are awful, often abused, traumatized, and hurt at such a young age, and they don't recognize themselves as, as victims. Their stories and problems are tragic and complicated and we as a nation owe our children a collective effort to end this travesty. We need to recognize that we have a global problem that calls for a global solution. While precise data on the number of victims of trafficking is difficult to come by, we know that the numbers are way too high. The number of adult women as well as young boys and little girls whose childhoods and very lives are being lost to trafficking every day is heartbreaking. The anecdotal stories of survivors and victims tell us that there are individual operations and very well orchestrated and well financed (laughs) trafficking networks worldwide. I, be- I firmly believe that human trafficking, is dire- human trafficking is directly tied to drug and gun trafficking and ultimately to the illicit terrorist organizations like Boko Haram and ISIS. The McCain Institute has sponsored targeted research projects that tell us that an alarming high percentage of children passing through our child welfare and foster care systems have been trafficked. Vulnerable populations such as homeless and LGBT youth are also shown to be at a much higher risk of trafficking. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported that 68 percent of these likely victims were in the care of social services or foster care at one time. The International Labor Organization estimates that of nearly 21 million victims of forced labor worldwide, 11.4 million are women and children. Globally, an estimated 2 million people are exploited by state actors or rebel groups and 19 million are exploited by individuals. 4.5 million of these people are victims of forced sexual exploitation by individuals and organizations. It is estimated that forced labor generates 150 billion dollars annually in illegal profits to traffickers worldwide. A December 2012 UNODC report identified traffic victims originating in 136 countries. These numbers are staggering. While these numbers are overwhelming, I am encouraged by the increase in efforts to combat human trafficking globally. In the last few years, UNIAP has found that 61 countries have passed national laws against trafficking and 90 percent of these laws have been enacted in the last five years. The potential of of the End Modern Slavery Initiative to laser focus known strategies to find its victims, break up trafficking networks and tactically organize the many people who deeply care about this issue into more effective action is unlimited. It is time we work together, though. It is time we stop this heinous crime against humanity. Congress mandates reports on human trafficking. One of the most well-known, of course, is the State Department's annual TIP report, as you mentioned. The report was mandated to assess each country's progress in achieving minimum standards for fighting trafficking. Countries are ranked in tiers from one to four, with tier tier one being the best. The report was designed to be an honest assessment of each government's commitment to fighting trafficking in both source and destination countries. The TIP report should be an accurate assessment and countries that do not meet the minimum standard for trafficking, for fighting trafficking, should face other penalties until they take it seriously and they improve. It seems that several countries with whom we had other prevailing interests moved up on the list. The rankings improved where there was really no real action or reducing of trafficking. The report should be factual and not swayed by outside interests. The fight against trafficking has not played a large enough role in the President's rhetoric in in Asia. U.S. government officials recently met with ASEAN leaders in Los Angeles. I hope these countries advance on the TIP Report rankings because they have made concrete advances in the fight against trafficking and not because of outside political considerations. It's time the measuring tools used to fight trafficking internationally are used fairly and honestly. There are increasing numbers of people dedicated in their lives, dedicating their lives to fighting trafficking every day, and some NGOs uh, are really outstanding at this. Uh, The McCain Institute has had the honor of partnering with Thorne, Digital Defenders of Children, to help get their initiative, their innovative spotlight tool into the hands of over 2,000 police departments in 49 states. Um, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to to uh, present the rest of this for the record, but if I may say, I just recently returned from Turkey and Greece both, and uh, I was not—I was staggered to see what I saw anyway, but most importantly, I, m- I myself watched trafficking happening. So uh, with your consideration, I would hope that this committee would, would focus somewhat on the children and the women and children that are coming across the waters from Ismere into Lesbos on that. And thank you for having me
0: today. No, thank you so much. Thanks for your leadership on this issue and for pointing out the, uh, the End It movement. Jenny Brown's here who leads that effort. She's sitting behind you. But uh, to be honest, uh, we would not be pursuing this had that awareness not taking place. And tomorrow's End It day, the awareness catapulted all of us into action, and, uh, but anyway, thank you for mentioning that and, and what's happening in Greece. Mr. Mil- Middleburg.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today and share the views of Free the Slaves. We are grateful for your outstanding leadership on this issue. I was asked to address what we experience as the central obstacles to reducing human trafficking and make policy recommendations accordingly. The brief answer is that we view the small scale of the global response to trafficking and inconsistent political support as the core obstacles. We have specific recommendations for Congress, Congress that address resource levels, resource allocation, the roles of USAID and the multilateral development banks, consistency in our diplomacy, and investing in research and evaluation. The focus on scale responds to the substantial progress and potential for radical reductions in slavery. While fully acknowledging the dreadful reality of slavery, my message today is actually one of hope and optimism. We now have the potential to achieve radical reductions in slavery if the Congress and the next president act boldly. A bit of context, if I might. The early phase of the anti-slavery movement was dedicated to alerting the world that slavery exists. That goal has been largely achieved, and I'm proud of the role that Free the Slaves played in that awakening. The second phase of the anti-slavery movement involved the search for solutions. Three mutually reinforcing solutions to the problem of slavery have evolved. The supply chain approach focuses on choking off the demand for slave-retained goods in international trade. The criminal justice approach looks at slavery through the prism of investigation, arrest, and prosecution seeking to end impunity for predators. The third approach, which is the strategy pioneered by Free the Slaves, focuses primarily on reducing the supply of highly vulnerable laborers in high-risk communities. Slavery is very disproportionately concentrated in the impoverished rural communities of South and Southeast Asia and West and Central Africa. Over the past 16 years, we have developed and refined a community-based abolition model that replaces vulnerabilities with assets so communities become highly resistant to slavery and trafficking. We know that the Free the Slaves community-based abolition model is effective. Our work has led to the liberation of well over 11,000 slaves. While the 2015 data are still being compiled, I can share that in 2014 our collaboration with our local partners reached almost 2,000 villages where more than 82,500 people were educated to protect themselves from trafficking. Almost 1,300 government officials were trained on how to fight slavery. The collaboration with our partners led to the arrest of 163 alleged traffickers and slaveholders. We did this on a budget of $3.2 million. An independent valuation of our program in the Congo concluded that the results clearly demonstrate the project led to increased community resistance to slavery. In short, the anti-slavery movement has evolved a three-pronged approach grounded in a substantial body of experience and evidence. The most important barrier to progress against slavery is the diminutive scale of the response. As Mrs. McCain pointed out, the ILO estimates that traffickers and slaveholders are pocketing $150 billion per year. The resources to fight slavery are a tiny fraction of the benefits to traffickers. The anti-slavery movement is fighting a raging elephant with a pop gun. We have the experience and the knowledge to make a difference, but not the resources. This is a great tragedy and deeply frustrating for my staff, our partners, and me. We are holding a slavery vaccine that we cannot deploy. The resource gap reflects Inconsistent political support. In some countries, leaders deny that a problem exists or deliberately turn a blind eye. While no one openly supports slavery, sustained, intense political support is needed that does not flinch when competing priorities emerge. The time has come for the third phase of the anti-slavery movement, which must focus on going to scale. We therefore propose the following policy agenda. Dramatically increase resources. Only a qualitative leap in available resources will allow for the necessary scaling up. Investing two cents, just two cents, in fighting slavery for every dollar the traffickers put in their pockets would be a huge gain for the anti-slavery movement. Invest consistently and wisely. Invest in the countries where slavery is most prevalent. Stay there over time and enact a comprehensive approach fully implement the USAID counter-trafficking in persons policy. We applaud the policy, but it is difficult to understand exactly what has occurred in terms of its implementation. We suggest this committee would be well served to require regular, publicly available reporting from USAID on the implementation of the CTIP policy. We bring to the attention of the committee that USAID issued one RFA on human trafficking in 2015, and has issued two RFIs in 2016. Human trafficking is not included in USAID's 2016 mission competitive forecast as posted on February 8th. Leverage the resources of the multilateral development banks. Almost by by definition, development banks are supporting large-scale programs that reach communities where slavery is prevalent. However, they neither see nor act upon slavery in their midst, which is a huge missed opportunity. To our knowledge, slavery reduction is not even on the agenda of the multilateral development banks. At a modest cost, poverty alleviation programs could be integrated, could integrate an anti-slavery component so they could detect slavery and know how to respond. Consistently include slavery on the agenda at the highest levels of diplomatic discourse. Everyone expects the TIP ambassador to address the trafficking issue in dialogue with foreign governments. It would be quite another thing if consistently the Secretary of State and the President would include this on their dialogue at the highest levels. I joined Mrs. McCain in saying that an unimpeachable trafficking persons report should undergird diplomatic efforts and the JTIP office should be ensconced in a structure and culture that is fully supportive of its congressionally mandated mission. Lastly, invest in context-specific research to guide policy and program design. Good policies and programs depend upon research that elucidates the magnitude and dynamics of slavery in specific contexts. Radical reductions in slavery are possible if these eminently feasible measures are adopted. The next president of the United States will have the opportunity to become the great emancipator of the 21st century by asserting U.S. leadership and galvanizing global action against slavery. This committee could help pave the path for the next president. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Jumbo.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Um, again, my name is Evelyn Chumbo. I am a survivor activist for interhuman human trafficking. I was trafficked from Cameroon to Silver Spring, Maryland at the age of nine. My trafficker told my parents that I would receive a better education in the United States. However, instead of attending school, I was forced to cook. Clean and care for children of my captor. I would go days and weeks at a time without eating. Sometimes I would even have to stand throughout the whole night. Other times, my trafficker would beat me until she was tired, and you know, until she was tired to continue. I was not allowed to sleep on a bed; I had to sleep on the on the floor. At 17, I discovered that I had a family member that lived in the area. Which I ran into, which was my aunt, my aunt, my auntie. She abused me and forced me to care for her daughter, also. Eventually, I ran away from that and went to a local church where I told a past, a priest, my story. Um, Then I got in contact with Catholic Charity. My trafficker was investigated, and, and criminal charges were brought against my trafficker. I was placed into foster care and became a ward of state in D.C. I was happy to be in foster care, but the situation there was challenging. I was too old to go to high school, but, but I went to a public charter school. I was happy for the opportunity, but hated the school because of, because of the other students. That, like most of them were either in gangs or were drug dealers. I refused to let the environment stop me from what I came here to achieve. Eventually, I earned my associate degree at the Community College of Baltimore County, and I just graduated from University of Maryland College with a Bachelor in Science in Homeland Security. When I turned 21 years old, I was no longer considered word of state. I got in a house in Maryland, but still faced many struggles. For example, even though I was a green card holder, I still do not have documents necessary for many social services, including food stamps. For me, many others in my situation, there is no additional help available after the foster care system. There are three main messages I want to leave with you today. First, a lot of people are really interested in trafficking survivor stories and want to help victim escape trafficking situation. Once the trafficking victim become a survivor, like me. Most continue to suffer and struggle. The difference is many few people pay attention or even care. I hope you will help change this situation. I have physical scars that I carry with me, scars that I have to explain to my husband and my young son. I also have many emotional scars. Survivor needs psychology services If I had the money to go to therapy, I would go. (laughs) Access services is hard. Finding long-term care is hard. Our life, we're taking away from us. We need help getting back into everyday life. Some of us are able to do, but some are not able. Important for survivors to have long-term care for their trauma that we've gone through. Second, I want to ask you to dedicate your effort toward ending modern-day slavery That means addressing sex trafficking and labor trafficking, and not separating the issue. There is still a bill in Congress right now that just passed in the House called the HR 4058, Preventing Sex Trafficking and Improving Opportunity for Youth and Foster Care Act. This legislation addressed the child welfare system, but does not include children children like me you know, and children trafficked for labour, it only includes children traffic for sex trafficking. As an advocate, I have seen many other examples of policymakers focusing attention on sex trafficking while ignoring labour trafficking. This is painful for me, for anyone who have been exploited for labour. My last message as an inter-trafficking advocate is the role to hear that really solution information by survivors that can make a long-term change. My hope is that you will reach out other survivors to hear and understand what they believe in importance. Here are a few things on my uh, my policy priority list. One, providing long-term assistance, including education and job opportunity for human trafficking survivors. To employing foreign-born survivors to educate law enforcement on cultural dynamic and to provide interpretation to help prevent misunderstanding when assisting foreign victims of human trafficking. The key to preventing modern-day slavery is education. Many victims come from impoverished areas overseas, like Mr. Maurice mentioned, where there's little to no opportunity for advancement. People find themselves in situations out of the need and and do not understand the potential implication of their decision to leave or to go to another country. I am now a mother, a wife. I just recently fulfilled my long-term dream of getting my degree. I'm also working at the biggest law firm in the world, Baker McKenzie Law Firm. I'm helping survivors of trafficking to get jobs. I am proud of all my accompli- accomplishments and proud that I, c- I can be here today to speak out on behalf of human trafficking survivors. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you, thank you Thanks. very much. Leah?
6: Okay, um, as Ms. McCain and Mr. Middleburg said earlier, I'm honored to be here sitting with all of y'all, and um, I genuinely want to thank each and every one of you for the opportunity to um, let me share a glimpse of my story, um, something that has gone on for far too long that needs to be recognized and totally eradicated from our society. I was a typical teenager. I came from a loving Christian family, had lots of close friends, but one bad decision ultimately changed my life forever. I became addicted to drugs and the one person that I thought was going to help me break free of my addiction was in fact a trafficker of young women for the sex trade. It seems strange to even use the term modern day slavery in our country, but it went from something that I knew next to nothing about to the way that I was forced to live my life for the next seven years. I knew of slavery from what my history classes taught me, it ended. Unfortunately, for so many living today, that is just not true. This is a way of life they are forced to live. How to think, when and where to eat, sleep, and work. Slavery is alive and well today. Modern day slavery, or as my pimp referred to it, white slavery. It's simply a way for monsters to make a very good living. Throughout the seven years of being trafficked, I, along with other young women, were used as a commodity by one pimp and were bounced around from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Miami, Florida, Houston, Texas, San Diego, California, New Orleans, Louisiana, Scottsdale, Arizona, Chicago, Illinois, Columbus, Ohio, and Denver, Colorado for the sake of making money to enable our pimp to live the lavish lifestyle that he wanted to live. We were used to glamorize and entice more young girls to ultimately feel a sense of initial comfort only to be brainwashed into a dark cult of servitude We were trained for one thing, to make him money. He was and still is the most manipulative, calculated person that I have ever encountered. My heart bleeds for the victims that are still under the control of others living similar lives. I was fortunate in the fact that I had a loving, caring family and close friends who welcomed me back with open arms, helping me to find my new normal. This was all done with the assistance of A21. Unfortunately, so many other victims are not as fortunate as I coming from backgrounds that include abuse and neglect and may fall through the cracks of what limited social services may be available to them. With the absence of a strong support system, these survivors are more likely than not to find themselves back in similar or even worse situations. If you're not familiar with A21, let me just tell you a little bit about what they're doing worldwide. They've been operating for eight years currently working in 10 countries directly with survivors of trafficking across four continents, specifically USA, Thailand, Greece, Bulgaria, Ukraine, and South Africa. They have provided direct assistance to countless victims, some victims being as young as four years old. They provided assistance not only in sex trafficking, but in forced labor, forced begging, domestic servitude, and organized theft rings. They have a comprehensive aftercare to bring the survivor all the way from the point of rescue to escape to independent living. This includes full medical care, trauma rehabilitation programs, education support, and social enterprise opportunities. h 21 also offers legal representation for their survivors and have seen significant sentences on human trafficking across Greece, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and South Africa so far. Without A21, I would not have been able to walk this road to healing. Without the constant support and dedication of A21, I'm not exactly sure where I would be today. Carolee Murphy, who is the US aftercare manager, has gone above and beyond to ensure that my past does not define my future. She continues to push me forward and to excel in whatever endeavor I choose. Without her, I could have just been another girl. Today, I want to stress the importance of education of human trafficking. It does exist, and not only in third world countries. It is a way of life for criminals in the heartland of America. I owe my recovery to the A21 campaign. Um, A21 which is not only for abolishing and educating our society on modern day slavery, but for the recovery of victims such as myself throughout the entire process. And when I tell you that it is a process, it is a process, a slow day by day process. Coming from a situation like I was in and getting thrown back into normal society, you have to find your new normal. Now that we know the truth about human trafficking, we cannot turn our backs and pretend that this problem does not exist. Therefore, I cannot express to each of you in these few minutes how important it is that we concerned citizens, educators, legislators, nonprofits, and law enforcement educate our youth and communities on what human trafficking is, how pimps work, who they profile. It's a dirty secret in our society, but we can prevent others from falling prey to these predators. This was something I was never taught. This is a cancer growing stronger each day, and it is up to each of us to do our part to stop it. I encourage you to take a serious look at this problem and do everything in your power to assist agencies like the A21 campaign. Thank you for your time, and God bless.
0: Thank you very much for your testimony and to both of our victims for their courage in being here. And Leah, um, was the perpetrator of this crime convicted? Yes, sir. And was part of, were you um, in a situation where you were concerned about retribution from him? From him? Yeah. No. So you were away and were not worried about that?
6: Well, I'm still worried about it, but during the time I was just more concerned about him actually facing prison time and not walking.
0: (laughs) And you mentioned education and awareness, and, and, again, much of that is occurring today. But other than making people aware of the vulnerability of this occurring, what do you think are the most important tools in ending this?
6: Education. And, and I know you just said that, you know, we are educating people. But if we let people know exactly what to look for, it, it will put a stop to it or decrease the, the chances of falling victim to it.
0: Sandy, one of the things that, that, um, that we've seen around the world is that slavery is a crime of opportunity. Mm-hmm. That in every country in the world, slavery is against the law. But as was mentioned by Mr. Middleberg, a lot of times it just goes on uh, the, the culture there. Uh, the police departments, the prosecutors uh, are not pursuing it. And we've seen, on the other hand, when there's a price to pay, when people know there's a price to pay, that there's huge decreases uh, in the amount of slavery that takes place and a culture change within those departments when they see convictions taking place. Has that been your experience?
3: Very much so. Um, I, I, From my own personal experience, I think accountability is, is key here to any of these countries. Uh, there, many of them have great laws on the books, but they just simply... Don't neither either don't enforce them or don't care, and so it, it, as was mentioned by Mr. Middleberg and others, the imp- and you all the importance of making sure that that these countries are accountable for what they're doing and that they are indeed doing what they say they're doing is really important, um, and awarding countries a uh, move up on the tip report because they're they have some of the reason to be. Uh, to be generous to to the world. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me, because these are women and children, particularly children that are at stake.
0: Um, I know Mr. Middleburg mentioned that, and I, I do want you to know there have been reforms relative to the TIP issue, and as uh, Senator Carden mentioned, all of us are stressing that much more, but I agree with you are at the highest levels it needs to be dealt with. Do the two of you believe that if the United States took leadership uh, and was able to put together, through public-private partnerships and other governments, the resources that you talked about, Mr. Middleburg. Do you think we could have the same effect on modern slavery that we've had on HIV um, uh, around the world? Uh,
4: Mr. Chairman, I have been doing this kind of work, global health, poverty alleviation, social justice, for well over 33 years. and In that time, I have seen absolutely amazing, remarkable, profound, positive change. Child mortality rates plummeted, maternal mortality rates plummeted, the HIV pandemic uh, halted, um, you know, many other amazing changes that we would never have expected 35 years ago. And in every instance, it has been when the United States of America asserted global leadership. There is no substitute for the United States, and I am profoundly proud of my country because what I have seen, and because of that, I actually have I'm an optimist, I started my remarks by saying that my message today is really one of optimism and hope because I know that when the United States of America ties itself to great moral purpose and invests tenaciously in that issue that we always, always see profound change. And I believe that the moment has come for the United States to once again assert its moral leadership on this issue and make the requisite commitment, which will require sacrifice and resources, but the results will be worth whatever sacrifice we need to make, and we will live in a safer and better world for that.
0: And I would just ask all of you, if, you, if the resources that you're talking about, when you look at it on an international basis, is small when you know that $150 billion each year in profits is being generated, by the way, by mostly smaller businesses. Uh, Most of these are not mafia-oriented entities. They're small business people that, unfortunately, because they know they're not going to be prosecuted, continue to do what they're doing. So is it your belief that, is there anything that you know of from the standpoint of the American people showing moral leadership around the world, that can be solved with a with a small amount of resources. When you think about everybody in the world participating, when you think about the philanthropies that exist to support these kinds of efforts, can you imagine anything more important for the United States uh, to be involved in in this moment?
3: No, I can't. Uh, when you're talking about our children, and and in my belief, I completely agree with what Mr. Middleberg said, but I also believe. That we have more to do here within our own within our own borders. Um, uh, there's, you know, I, I hesitate again to bring up the Super Bowl, but large organizations and large events like that are really important to this issue. And yet somehow we let our NFL ch- chief and our and the other people that are part of all these kind of overlook it, and give those of us that work in this kind of the boys will be boys deal. Don't worry about it attitude. Um, I think I think until we can. Can hold ourselves accountable in this. Uh, it's going to be difficult, in my opinion, to be able to be successful around the world.
4: Um, S- Senator, if I, I might just add to that, please, that um, clearly, with a widely dispersed crime, as you said, a series of small businesses, it requires effort at large scale, and. This cannot be done with the level of resources that are currently available. I, I go back to my call for investing two cents for every dollar the traffickers are putting in their pockets. That would finally begin to put the right level of resources on the table to combat this crime. And your, your uh, reference to the fact that these are not mafia, part of my optimism is that our experience is that in some sense these traffickers are incredibly weak. What's been really amazing to me is, in fact, how easily they can be toppled when concentrated effort is put at them. These are not great chieftains of major organized crime, but when they're confronted, it's easy for them to, to do their crimes at a small level when no one's paying attention and no one is fighting back. But when they are pushed, they will give up, and that has been our experience, even with the modest resources we can bring to bear.
0: I was a bad traffic cop yesterday and I'm going to do better today. I just want to ask one last uh, uh, question. It, is it true that in the United States and around the world there are numbers of organizations like yours, like IJM, like A21 and others that already know what the best practices are dealing with these issues and if we could just marshal that together in an international effort, we, we have the ability, we just need to pull it together and make it happen. Is that true or false?
4: Absolutely, sir. That was part of, of my reference to the fact that we have evolved this three-pronged approach. Different organizations specialize in different uh, approaches, uh, but the, the knowledge and the experience we've gained over the last 15 years is actually quite remarkable, and we have the ability to make a huge difference, given what we have learned, if the resources are available.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Senator Cardin.
1: Well, first, um, I want to thank all of our witnesses, but I particularly want to thank Leah and Evelyn uh, for putting a face on this issue. You know, we hear the millions, but they're real people. Each one is a person with a story and a family. Uh, Evelyn, you point out that parents want a better life for their children. And in many countries around the world, they don't see a future for their children. So they get into a circumstance where they think they're doing their best for their child to be educated and an opportunity to great America, uh, only to find uh, that they were uh, fraudulently misled uh, for economic uh, advantage of the trafficker, not their child, and to become uh, a circumstance where their uh, child has been victimized. And Leah, it happens here in the United States. Here we think we're the country that has uh, protected our citizens, and yet uh, the vulnerabilities are here, the greed is here, and you put a face on it. Uh, so for both of you, the courage to come before our committee. Thank you. It's so important for Americans to understand uh, beyond the numbers uh, the, the the lives that have been changed forever as a result of the activities of, of traffickers. And, and, you know, we could have Rohingya and Cambodian men and boys who have been trafficked for, through the fishing industry in Thailand, and we could have a person here that would show how that person's life was destroyed. And in a way, we support that by uh, the, the fish we consume in this country. So it, 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 we need to draw the lines and understand that what is involved here, or we could— certainly understand ISIL and, and Boko Haram and the, the terrorist organizations and how they traffic in order to support their, their activities. So I thank you for putting a face on it. I just really want to underscore what both um, Mr. Mittelberg and Ms. McCain, you've said about US leadership. Let me take you back uh, a, a few, many years ago in the Helsinki Commission, where we raised the issue internationally of trafficking. This is going back. 30 years ago, and I I particularly want to mention uh, Congressman Smith and his leadership on this issue. Uh, We in the OSCE raised the issue and brought it to the attention and OSCE responded and uh, developed uh, technical support for all the states of Europe and and Central Asia. Uh, We have a person designated uh, to, to monitor what is going on. We've developed best practices and it's made a difference. That was U.S. leadership that brought a change. We could use that by the way, we don't have a similar mechanism in Asia, we don't have a similar mechanism in Africa, or even our own hemisphere, as we do within the OSCE. Second area where U.S. leadership made a huge difference, uh, the passage of the legislation that set up the Trafficking in Persons Report. And it is uh, the best standard we have to objectively evaluate the efforts being made in every state in the world, including the United States. Every state can improve. Many states have yet to enact enforceable laws. Many states still, their law enforcement, looked at the victims as criminals rather than as victims. Many states have not set up centers that can protect the victims from trafficking. There's still a lot more that we know on a uniform basis that that can be done. And the trafficking in person report establishes the standard. And that's why uh, I think the work we did, Mr. Chairman, this past year on the report, I certainly understand uh, the explanations given to us by the State Department on the improved ratings of some states. But let me tell you, uh, Mr. Middleburg, your your point about high-level engagement, I think we got their attention. We let them know that trafficking will not be compromised because of a trade agenda uh, or or because of of trying to establish better diplomatic relations with other countries. We're not going to sacrifice our principles on trafficking. And I think that was made very clear. Uh, And uh, as as I mentioned, Senator Flake is now here, and Senator Coons, we were in countries in southern part of Africa, and uh, I think now the leaders of those countries understand America's priority on trafficking, and uh, the leaders are now better informed about that. It makes a difference. So US leadership, to me, is critically important. It goes to whether the President of the United States will have it on the agenda when he has a meeting with his counterpart in some other country, or the Secretary of State, or that when our ambassador sets up the contacts and country, whether that's on that top list. And that's leadership. And that's our responsibility collectively to make sure that that is part of the discussion and we will continue to use those opportunities. And it's what uh, Chairman Corker is talking about. It's amazing how little resources it really takes to counter the, uh, this activity. You said two cents of every dollar that's earned by the, the profiteers. Uh, that would make a huge consequential difference on this area. So. I, I I really am uh, believe we can do a lot better. We've made progress, but there's so much more that needs to be done. And and what concerns me, and the question I'll I'll just ask the panel, uh, we look at the numbers, we know the numbers, and we look at how few have been identified, how few of the victims have been identified, how few cases are brought in the courts, how few convictions we have. It's a shockingly low number. So there are people today in the United States and every country in the world who are being victimized that we have not been able to reach. In huge numbers, only a small fraction, we've been able to provide relief. So what can we do to have better opportunities to protect the people who are currently victimized and to bring successful prosecutions against those who are trafficking?
3: Well, yeah, I, if I can take that f- a little bit here. Um, it, I think the best bet, as was mentioned by our two survivors, is education and awareness. Um, it, it, what, the approach that we've taken back home is we have compiled a, ta- a huge task force that's actually educating the community. Now, we're, we have not been successful integrating the schools on this issue, and in my opinion, I think we should be talking about this issue at the elementary level. Uh, but education awareness, education awareness, education awareness is the only way we're going to be able to, to, in my opinion, to be able to, to really make a difference on this issue within the borders of the United States.
4: Uh, Senator, let, let me add to Mrs. McCain's statement with a, a couple of suggestions that emanate from our work. Uh, one is to support advocacy coalitions of civil society in the countries that are most affected. We do so in places like Nepal and Haiti uh, and, and Congo, and that becomes a force where civil society begins to hold the government accountable on this issue. It needs, this is again we're in part tied to the resource issue, because those advocacy coalitions need resources, they need training, they need technical assistance about how to mount advocacy campaigns where they can hold their own governments accountable. So that would be one important step is to have loud civil society voices in the countries that are most affected. Second, the importance of training programs for law enforcement. We should not assume that police um, are, know how to address this crime. It, our, our, uh, what we have found is that uh, often they don't know what their own laws say. Uh, They they are not well trained. They're terribly under resourced. They don't know how to investigate uh, the crime. The judiciary don't know how to deal with the crime. So there's a need for training of the concerned government officials like police and judges and magistrates and, and so on. Um, third is the importance actually of uh, training journalists. Uh, part of what we've done is actually train media on how to do stories on slavery because they don't know about it frankly any more than anybody else. You train reporters, they begin to do stories in the local media and that then shines a spotlight on the problem and it becomes a much harder for the local authorities, the local police captain to say well I don't know it there and the reporter says well it took me a week to find all these cases, why can't you? So there are are very concrete steps that can be taken that help accelerate prosecution of the crime.
1: Thank you. That's very very helpful.
5: And oh, oh. yes, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, um, just to agree with everything that um, Mrs. McCain said and Maurice said. Really, the number one key, I would say, education, and definitely um, educate not only the law enforcement but the emb- embassies, especially coming from another country to the United States, a lot of our embassies don't know how to deal with us, you know, v- victims. I think that we need to do more training when it comes to a lot of these embassies. I just speak for example, because even though my case was investigated, a lot of my embassies, you know, my gov- the government in Cameroon knew my situation, but it really hurt me that I couldn't go back to my country because they thought I was not Cameroonian. You know, that hurt me a lot that I could not get a Cameroonian passport. And I really do appreciate everything the United States has done. They have definitely done a lot of work when it comes to human trafficking. But I think the United States, I think Mrs. McKay mentioned, you guys are the leaders. All these other countries look up to you to, to, to implement a lot of their laws, and they really don't implement those laws, even though you have them in those books and any things like that, because it's sad that I was brought in this country at the age of nine, but I cannot go back to see my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to go to court, I had to face so many different obstacles, you know, and my government did so or oh, no, not a lot of things to help me, you know. I. I I'm gonna say I love the fact that I'm American, really, because it just showed that you guys care a lot for your citizen. But I really am fighting to hope that countries in Africa can also fight for their citizen, fight for their children like you guys fight for your citizen. I would love my country to fight for me because that's where my parents are. Imagine not seeing your parents from the age of nine until 18 you know, and this is the only place I know. So we need to do more with the embassies and really have this government in this country to be responsible for their citizens. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I've, I, uh, in order to have the hearing today, uh, and get all the witnesses. Uh, we had to schedule it today instead of tomorrow, and I've got to leave for something that's been set for a long time. And uh, I think Senator Cardin is going to take over. We trust each other eminently, and on this issue, who wouldn't? Um, let me just say to the witnesses, uh, the, the victims. I, I think all of us, um, all of us, uh, uh, become aware of this. But until we meet people like you, who Gone through this. My experience with this was in the Philippines, but it's you that put the face on this crime, and we thank you for being here. And I think once people hear stories like yours, it's very difficult to turn your back on the issue and move along, and do your business in an ordinary way, and not want to do something about this. So we thank you both for being here. We thank all the witnesses for being here, and uh, and to that Senator Gardner. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I reiterate the thanks.
7: Uh, thank you to the advocates. Thank you to uh, the panelists and Mrs. McCain. Welcome uh, to, to the committee. Uh, I had last week uh, during the work period a conversation with the special agent in charge at the FBI of Colorado, uh, Agent Ravenel, and we had a conversation about some of the challenges that they were facing in Colorado, what some of his top priorities were. And amongst the conversations, we started talking about uh, human trafficking issues, modern-day slavery. and. He made a point that even in, in uh, downtown Denver, on the 16th Street Mall, he told a very poignant story about uh, a, a, a girl who looked homeless. And he said, in fact, if a, if a girl is homeless or appears homeless in the 16th Street Mall, that within two hours, that girl is approached, offered food, shelter, help, not by somebody who's being kind-hearted and good-natured, but somebody who wishes to uh, start a, a lifetime uh, of of trafficking Uh, and what a dramatic turn in that young person's life that is. And so it's uh, not something that we talk about uh, enough, I don't think. And I'm glad that you're here to do it, and this committee and this Congress is taking great strides to talk about it as much as we can and so both uh, your statement uh, Ms. miss jumbo to talk about uh, i wish that my country fight for me I, I don't exactly write; i wrote it down when you said it i want my country to fight for me that's a pretty incredible and powerful statement and uh, mrs mccain to uh, in your testimony you said human trafficking is not just an international issue and we as a country need to address it in our own states and communities when we passed the human trafficking bill last year one of the uh, the components of it was language that we helped add to talk about you know while we're addressing the challenge around the globe that we also have to look inward and we can't forget that this is happening in places like I just mentioned where the FBI is worried about the two hours that somebody is going to be approached from the time that they show up on the 16th street mall to the time somebody comes to try to, uh, try to, to uh, engage them in, in human trafficking. And so I guess the question I have is, is what more can we be doing at the state level? Uh, to combat human trafficking. What more can the federal government be partnering to do with the state level uh, to combat uh, this scourge?
3: Well, in my opinion um, and from the experience that we've had uh, in Arizona, um, it really comes from within. Uh, the federal government is, can be very helpful and already has been very helpful on this issue uh, with, with funding in certain areas. But, you know, we're dealing with, a, with a, an epidemic here. And, and this epidemic is not just something that we see, but it's also something that's on the Internet. And we're going to have to face the, the fact that unless we, we figure out how to deal with organizations like Backpage and others that are like that, um, we're not going get to get ahead of this. Uh, education was mentioned. Um, all, you know, all the things that, that we've all talked about, uh, treating them like victims, making sure our, our police force knows, uh, and understands and are trained in this. But um, it, I, in my opinion, I think we need to work collectively, not only as states, but nationally together. Uh, I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things, and I think a lot of things are being duplicated. And I think, a little, in my opinion, a little better organization would be, would be very helpful, on the ground at least, and that's how, how I, I work on the ground.
7: In, in terms of that duplication, is anybody sort of... Looking at that, is there a place where we can look at and say this is being duplicated? This is the service. or Is that something that maybe it's appropriate role for Congress to take a look at?
3: Um, I, I don't know if anyone's doing that. I know at the McCain Institute we are we're, we're trying to figure out just who's you know where where all the pieces of the puzzle are with all of this, um, but I, other organizations like Mr. Middleberg and others uh, may have a better answer to that. Uh, but I I just just from my own experience. Duplication is a problem Mm -hmm. with this, and people not talking to each other, the lack of communications between NGOs and governments and local law enforcement, et cetera.
7: And feel free, the other panelists, if you'd like to to join in on this.
4: Well, I would bring to your attention uh, actually a report we did with Deloitte called the Freedom Ecosystem uh, Report. And one of the issues that we actually highlighted in that report Uh, is the importance of partnership and collaboration and coordination. That there is uh, a a degree of atomization in the efforts against uh, slavery, and that we would all benefit from putting in place a better architecture uh, that would allow for partnership and complementarity and collaboration. Uh, And there are organizations, NGOs, that are taking steps, actually, to try to work with each other uh, and really have candid conversation about, well, you know, what is it we- that we're not doing or we should be doing or we could do better in order to work together. So uh, this is, is not, I mean, forgive me, it's not a U.S. example, but uh, we recently entered into a joint venture with an organization called Beyond Border where we really said, look, we both work in Haiti, we're both addressing the child domestic servitude issue, uh, we both have similar philosophies, so we're going, we signed a formal agreement to pool our resources so that we could work together truly collaboratively and have one integrated structure between the two organizations. You know, in a sense, a real formal joint venture uh, so that we could be more effective with the resources each of us can bring to bear. And I think more of those kinds of conversations uh, where we can put aside our organizational egos uh, or, the frankly, the, the turfs between different agencies uh, would be really helpful. Very good, very good.
5: If,
7: if the other two would like to or not, that's fine.
5: So, uh, yeah, I agree with what Maurice said, you know, collaboration and unity working together because a lot of times when we talk about human trafficking, really, like I mentioned earlier, we often just hear about sex trafficking, you know, and the focus is so much on sex trafficking that you forget victims like me. Other victims, you know, I've always tried to, when I advocate, to understand, I believe in unity. Sex, (laughs) labor, and sex trafficking, to me, I really don't see any difference. Because a lot of time, people that are labor trafficked, they're sexually exploited, too, every day. But we don't get to hear that story. You know, and it's really, a lot of these NGOs, like, unity is very important. If you really wanna work on this crime, helping to end this crime, these are human beings we're talking about. You're talking about people, people that have family, you know, <laughs> that their lives have been taken away. They've been treated like they're nothing, and it doesn't really matter what form of trafficking they experience. It's just sad that to know that they went through that, and we need to, we need, because there's so much separation in this movement when when it comes to like training. A lot of the people that get that get to train law enforcement are usually survivors of sex trafficking. It would be nice to have tra- survivors that are foreign to, to train law enforcement also, because that way they can also understand where we're coming from. I did not ask to be brought in this country. I was just a young lady that had a dream to want to marry Will Smith. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it happened that I was brought here. I didn't ask to be brought here, and then I am here. I can't get a lot of services. I don't get a lot of help because I'm a foreigner. And there's so many of us foreigners that were brought here without our knowledge. And we really appreciate your help. But then I feel like we should also be getting the type of services that you offer your citizens. Because we were not asked to be brought here. If you're not going to offer us those services, then okay make our country like i mentioned earlier to fight for us Them tell them to to work on us to help us or to bring us back in our country and we can get jobs there thank you thank you we
1: we have developed special protections for victims who are come to our country so there is a process as you know for protection we may need to try to strengthen that (laughs) because uh, your point about being able to return to your country is a uh, issue that We may be able to handle, but in a way, Cameroon also is involved in making those types of decisions who can visit their country. So, But we do recognize victims of trafficking as a special category. Senator Coons.
8: Thank you, Senator Cardin. Leah and Evelyn, um, thank you for your courage, for sharing your stories today. And I thank God for the volunteers and the activists who've helped bring you to safety and helped sustain you and support you in your testimony here today and in your return to a normal life, whatever that really means, and to your willingness and courage to share uh, both about sex trafficking and about domestic labor trafficking, and to help encourage all of us senators from both parties to focus on this issue, um, that it's a real problem, a real human rights problem here in our own country and around the world. Um, So also to the organizations uh, from End It to A21 to Free the Slaves, Maurice, thank you, and uh, Mrs. McCain from our first trip together to Liberia. Uh, I've been hugely impressed with your passion and your persistence, uh, your work across the world. Thank you. Um, and to Senator Cardin, um, thank you for being a great advocate. Uh, in the trip that we just concluded, Uh, We met with several heads of state, and Senator Cardin was impressive, engaged, focused, and frankly aggressive uh, about the TIP report and about trafficking in persons in a way that dominated our conversation with one president and clearly got under his skin a little bit um, and uh, challenged uh, several other uh, heads of state and national leaders. It was an honor to travel with you and to see you in action really pushing this issue. Uh, and to Senator Corker, who's left um, proud to be a co-sponsor of his bill, and I think all of us are grateful for his initiative and his focus, uh, his success in getting a dedicated appropriation and now hopefully uh, legislation through this Congress is an encouraging reminder of how bipartisan this committee has been under the leadership of Senators uh, Corker and Cardin. Let me just ask, if I can, two fairly straightforward questions. Um, for Evelyn uh, and for Leah, if you might, What what was the most important resource or support, what helped sort of bring you back uh, to the world of the living and the free more than anything else? Uh, And then if I might, uh, for Maurice and for Cindy, um, you've talked about community-based abolition as a strategy uh, for helping deliver on a bold higher level action and effective partnership. I know A21 has four Ps that includes prosecution and prevention, uh, but Cindy, I'd be interested in what else you see as key uh, to a strategy that will scale this up and make a difference. if you could just take the rest of my five minutes and answer in series, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you.
6: Okay, and I just wanted to mention before um, when they were speaking about, you know, the whole whole thing, it starts with education, okay? Mm -hmm. We need to educate on what to look for. What, you know, the girl in Denver who was on the streets for two hours, if she would have known possibly what a trafficker would approach her with. The education. That's Um, the prevention education. The prevention education, absolutely. Um, And then for the victim, what has gotten you through the most for me, it has been the constant support of A21 and the therapy that they have been able to help provide because you can't go back into society after going through years and years of what me and so many other people go through. Mm-hmm. So you need a constant
5: support.
8: Thank you. I'm grateful for your return. Evelyn?
5: Um, same thing. For me, really, I, I really love all the NGOs because they understand this issue. Mm-hmm. And they were there at first hand. You know, And it's just one person that was there that, like some of us, like Leah mentioned, it's education not knowing. Because I didn't know I was a survivor of human trafficking how would I know if I was a slave, you know, if it wasn't for the person that was working at that NGO that identified me as that, you know. And they really were my backbones, the NGO that helped me helped me to understand that they were taking abuse, you know, they were abusing me. And, like, all the scars I have in my body, they were firsthand and just knowing that. But knowing that what kept me going was the fact that I knew that my mother sent me here to get an education because again, we feel like coming to this country, we get better education than somewhere else. So never giving up on that education, despite all the obstacles that I went through in foster care, out and everything. I just keep fighting and knowing that I have to be better for myself. Yes, I could get therapy, but a lot of the therapists could not understand my situation. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you.
8: Maurice?
4: Uh, Senator, thank you for your question and for your support. Um, So what I would refer to are sort of five basic elements that really make these community-based strategies uh, effective. The first is to build the capacity of local organizations that are known and trusted by the communities that are at risk so that they are more capable and have the skills and resources they need to protect their communities. The the second piece is educating uh, and mobilizing the communities themselves. They don't know their rights under law. They may not know how to migrate uh, safely. So there's, a, there's an educational component to this. There's a psychological component because people who have lived under oppression for a long time in a sense have now have a self-imposed imprisonment from long histories. Many people are actually born into slavery in different contexts. So you have to sort of change the mindset And part of that is also developing anti-slavery committees at the the village level so that there's a sort of neighborhood watch that serves that protective function. Uh, You add to that enhancing legal protection, as I mentioned before, the training of local uh, police um, and the other steps that I mentioned with regard to enhancing legal protections, increasing access to basic services. Uh, Children who are out of school are more likely to be trafficked. Families that don't have access to basic affordable health care will encounter a financial crisis. That's actually the single most prominent cause that they encounter a financial crisis that drives them to the loan shark. Why do they go to the loan shark? Because there isn't a legitimate source of credit that's available. So increasing access to schools, healthcare, credit, reduces the vulnerabilities that lead people into trafficking. And then as this transformation takes place in in communities, and I want to tell you, it's incredibly powerful. You see a community that has both a, a reality and a mindset of servitude undergoes this transformational process and begins to assert itself and that's where the liberations begin to occur because the community itself begins to resist the trafficker and the slaveholder. Uh, they come out of slavery or they contact authorities. There are raids on workplaces and, and so forth. Then what's important, as my friend Evelyn has been saying, is to provide appropriate services to the survivors so as Leah and Evelyn have mentioned, they can come back and live lives in freedom and dignity. And part of that, just to add Senator Cardin to my earlier response, has to do with providing legal representation for the survivors because if they get legal representation, then that helps us go after the trafficker because they have their own lawyer or legal aide who's representing uh, them, prepares them to be witnesses and so forth. So if you put this package together and you apply it consistently, it works. And not only is it, does it work consistently, it, it's not instantaneous. It may take three years to get a community from being in servitude to being free. Um, but it, it does work and it can be done efficiently. Our program in India, it costs us about $400 a year per village. So it takes $1,200 to move a, a community from, from slavery to freedom. So we know this can be done, and we know it can be done efficiently. Thank you.
3: Um, my, the area that I've worked in has been specific, specifically sex trafficking. So the, the one area that I think that we have not addressed as a community, and I'll talk global as far as the United States goes and the world, is the customer and how we deal with the customer and and what penalties or how each community deals with the customer. Um, some communities are willing to deal with this topic, some aren't. Uh, and it's, it's you know, it, it's across the board with all that. But in my opinion, unless we deal with the customer head on, on from the sex trafficking side of this, we might as well be spinning our wheels in the dirt. Um, and, and most importantly, if I could have, I'm sitting here thinking if I had one wish, what would my wish be with this, it would be to change the language and completely take out of our uh, vocabulary the word prostitute. I just do not believe that a child or a young woman is a prostitute who has been sold into slavery. So um, it's, and those are the kind of things that will change attitudes with our first responders and and of course across the board with that. Well, thank you very much. That's my wish list.
8: Thank you, Cindy. (laughs) Thank you, Maurice. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Leah. I'm reminded of the long struggle against domestic violence in this country and how it took a basic change in mindset in training and prevention and services and support, Um, whether it's uh, wildlife products trafficking or human trafficking, drugs or weapons, there are these evil transnational networks. Uh, And we need to take a stronger step to show that this country, which was founded on liberty and which had one of its most definitional moments in the abolitionist fight against slavery, has this fight before us again. And ending modern human slavery is a challenge that we can and should step up to together. Thank you, Senator Carr. Thank you.
9: Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to all of the witnesses. Um, I I would like to start, if I could, uh, Leah and Evelyn the engagement of survivors is is really a core piece of what policy should be and I know it's a core piece of US policy and some of the uh, the testimony already has kind of gotten at that but if, if you would want to give us advice about uh, as we're you know crafting programs or funding what are the things that we can best do to engage survivors in this what would it be is it more support of NGOs is it support to get legal counsel what are the things that 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 we should focus on to engage survivors in this battle?
6: No? Okay. I think it is a number of things because, Mm -hmm. um, as you said, it's Mm -hmm. therapy wouldn't work for her. Um, and there's domestic servitude, there's sex trafficking, Mm -hmm. there's forced labor. So if people that are working with agencies are educated on each different type of trafficking, I think that that would be a great thing, just mm-hmm. to know what to look for for each one. Um, but the education, going back to education, what to look for, what to stay away from, um, to me, that's completely important because it's, it's not something that's taught today. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, we were taught that slavery had ended. And mm-hmm. I had no idea that I would be spending the next seven years of my life Enslaved to someone for the sake of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me, education is completely important. Um, being a sex trafficking survivor, the therapy is a vital role mm-hmm. that is helping me get back into normal yep. society.
9: Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Evel.
5: Thank you. Um, like Lee mentioned, there's so many things that can be done. But you know, what really did help me get it was being part of another network the National Survivor Network, just being able to have those other survivors that have gone through mm-hmm. what I've gone through to understand me, it did not matter if it was sex or labor, but just knowing that we were forced into something that it was not our own, really helped me. But there's just so many things that survivors can, can help. You know, you can start by hiring survivors, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> giving them a job. Mm-hmm. Because yes, even though they've gone through other situations, but there's a possibility that they can be re-victimized. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of this issue is poverty, lack of education. And when we do get out of the situation, we're vulnerable. We don't have job. We don't know where to go. Yes, NGOs are there, but there's not that long-term mm-hmm. care for it. So really helping us to get jobs. Or even in the country that we come from if we can get jobs in that country we will not have to go to another country and end up being trafficked and can't get jobs Mm -hmm. so the number one key is providing jobs for Mm -hmm. a lot of survivors thank
9: you thank you to both of you and now i'll I'll turn to Maurice and cindy thank you guys for the great work that you're doing i on this committee i have a kind of particular focus on latin american issues usually and so I'd, i'd love you to talk about maybe two aspects of what's going on uh, in the Americas these days. One is, what do you think about the current uh, relationship between the United States and Mexico on human trafficking and slavery? You know, or, or are we cooperating in the way we should? We know there's problems, but are we, is it improving? or Are we going backwards? I'd love you to talk about that. And second, as we've seen this uptick in the number of unaccompanied children coming to the United States from the three Northern Triangle countries in Central America, has that also had with it, you know, an uptick in uh, in slavery and human trafficking from those countries, and what should the the we just passed a budgetary allocation of seven hundred fifty million dollars into those three countries, and we ought to be talking about the best way to program those monies to do the most good. And so, I'd be curious about your thought about the Northern Triangle countries too.
4: Thank you, Senator. Uh- One of the things I learned in my life is to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, And particularly the issue with Mexico is not one that, frankly, I feel competent to Mm -hmm. address, so I will defer in in speaking to that. I I will say, however, with regard to more to the the Central American issue, um, that I think, in the first instance, it is very important that we continue to recognize that these are, in fact, victims of trafficking. They are running away from being pressed into crime Mm -hmm. by the gangs of Central America. And uh, we were disappointed when this there was the first influx at some of the reaction, uh, which seemed to treat them as kinds of, yeah. of criminals rather than as children who were freeing or can, fleeing organized crime. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, what, what we would suggest is that it's much more about reaching back into the communities from which these children are fleeing and working with those communities and with the parents there to understand what are the specific vulnerabilities, what are the specific dynamics that are leading them to flee. So there's no magic formula to answer that, but this is more about doing that kind of contextual research and understanding that dynamic and then intervening. We have sort of a framework for thinking about what those might be along the lines I suggested earlier in response to Senator Coons. Um, But then it's doing that kind of community mobilization so that the community can protect itself with the cooperation of local authorities against the the ones who are trying to traffic. Mm
9: -hmm. Mm them. Thank you very much.
3: I, ha- I guess I have the luxury of having been born in a border state. Yeah. And so the issues are very, I mean, I've watched this my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think right now the political rhetoric is helping this at all, I'm on either side of the aisle. And I'm talking about the presidential yeah. races. I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't think that that this is, is helpful in, in any way, shape, or form. And it really bothers me a great deal to see this. Um, what I do know and what I have seen firsthand is that First and foremost, um, I believe the United States can be very helpful in helping Mexi- Mexico secure its southern border. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We talk a lot about the northern border, but the southern border is the weak link here. Mm-hmm. Um, and more, and just exactly as, as what Marie said, um, we don't have all the answers to this, but we know one thing: they're fleeing, and they're they're in danger of losing their lives by 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 not stay by by staying in the country so uh, a, a broader dialogue with in my opinion with with not just the president of the country but the 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 local leaders is where this begins because um, and in my opinion involving more women in the issue because I think women are really the dri- yeah. in Latin America are the driving force mm-hmm. on this in mm-hmm. terms of change um, I don't and like I agree with mari so I don't know all the answers to this and I but I do know we can't continue to just slap people around and badmouth them, right. uh, you know, for a problem that that we can be helpful with instead.
9: Thank you very much for what you're doing, to uh, Mr. Chair. I would I would love it sometime. Since we did just do the 750 million dollar appropriation, it would be great if the committee or maybe one of the subcommittees could have a discussion uh, with state and others. What's the best way to make that money really? Um, help solve some of these security challenges. I mean, I think a lot of the reason we did the investment was because of the crisis of the unaccompanied minors, but we want to make sure that it's being used in ways that will promote the right goal, and that might be something that the committee could explore at a later point.
1: It's certainly within our jurisdiction, and as you know, this budget provides an additional billion dollars yeah. in that regard, so it's a continuing uh, commitment by the uh, by the taxpayers in the jurisdiction of this mm-hmm. committee. Mm-hmm. Senator thank Menendez, you so much. Senator Menendez. Uh, thank
10: you, Mr. Chairman. And, uh, let me thank an incredibly impressive panel. And I want to particularly thank uh, Leah and Evelyn, because it's, it's courageous to tell these stories uh, in public, on the record. and But it's extraordinarily powerful. And you're helping the lives of other individuals, because when we talk about issues here, sometimes we talk about it in a way that we don't get the human face to the challenges that we are facing, and in this case, modern day slavery, and in other cases, about education. or income or whatnot. But, so I want to thank you both because I think it's incredibly powerful and I applaud you for doing it. Um, and to Mrs. McCain for your work at the McCain Institute. is just fantastic uh, and I appreciate uh, your insights and your commitment and to Mr. Middleburg, a fantastic organization that's doing and changing lives. Um, when I worked with Senator Cork originally on this and, and, and uh, certainly uh, Uh, felt his passion and believe in it myself and then Senator Carton. uh, I think about the committee's jurisdiction and and while I'm pleased to hear of many of the domestic things we need to do, including realizing that it's not just about issues abroad in terms of modern day slavery, that domestically we have to face up to our moral responsibility to meet this challenge. But in terms of the committee's jurisdiction, it is foreign uh, uh, relations and as part of that, Uh, I'd like to try to pick your brains. I've gotten the sense of the conversation uh, before I got to walk in because I was at another meeting. Uh, But how do we use the tools of foreign diplomacy in a way that can more powerfully direct the attention of other countries uh, to the issue of modern day slavery? Uh, And for example, before I hear your answers, I appreciate Senator Cardin working uh, to make sure that the TIP report, which I think is one of the most powerful tools we have to cast not only a spotlight, but to have countries meet uh, their responsibilities, needs to be inviolate. Uh, and I am concerned that the last one wasn't. Uh, That considerations, and I understand, I've been on either the House or Senate Foreign Relations Committee for 24 years, so I understand the totality of issues that we face in relationships in the world. But you cannot uh, ultimately mitigate uh, the um, challenges in a country on modern day uh, human trafficking and slavery uh, because other things are far more important. You can maybe meet them in tandem, but you shouldn't ultimately mitigate them. And I'm, I'm concerned when I see Malaysia, for example, uh, there's no way that anybody's going to convince me that they deserve to be upgraded. Now, maybe that was a result of my amendment that passed in the Senate Finance Committee that includes in the question of trade promotion and TPP you know, having a a prohibition on dealing with countries who are in tier three to get access to fast track and trade. And I'd like to hear whether that, or elements of that, whether using our trade agenda, particularly with countries that rate among the worst in the world in terms of human trafficking is one tool of foreign diplomacy that we should use. Um, So I'd like to get a sense from you Uh, What can we do uh, in our arsenal of foreign diplomacy tools to help uh, your work and to our joint commitment uh, to end modern-day slavery? I I think there are more powerful efforts to uh, use um, the use of our aid and our trade uh, as well as international opinion, which the TIP report certainly is a part of, to achieve that, but you're out there doing this, so I'd, I'd like to hear from you.
4: Uh, thank you, Senator Menendez, and thank you for being so deeply engaged on, on this issue for, issue for which we're, we're very grateful. Um, l- let me suggest sort of an, of an agenda of, of tools or methods, uh, one of which you've shown great leadership on. I think it is very important that we leverage access to U.S. markets. Uh, it's simply unconscionable that we would allow slave-made goods into the United States of America. I can't imagine why anybody could, could possibly countenance that. And it seems to me in part that involves dialogue with our leading businesses so that they really begin to pay attention to their supply chains. You know, the, the statement is made that, well, the supply chains are enormously complex. Uh, I happened to listen to uh, somebody who once was chief of procurement for ExxonMobil, And she said, we knew where every screw and every flange came from because if we didn't and the oil well blew up, uh, that was going to be a serious problem and cost us money. So I think part of this is what are the incentives that are on the table in terms of whether or not the businesses feel that they really need to pay attention to their supply chain. So I think really thinking carefully about leveraging access to U.S. markets both for the producers and for the consumers uh, on this end is is potentially a very powerful uh, tool. Second, the role that we uh, play with regard to the array of international institutions, particularly international financial institutions, those are very important sources of financing for many countries. uh, and, And that can be, if that was systematically integrated into the dialogue Uh, between the international financial institution and the country that's receiving uh, the money. We certainly have done so with other issues, the environment, women's rights, and so forth. I can't imagine why we wouldn't begin to include slavery as one of those conditionalities that we really think about in terms of the the dialogue, in terms of our being on boards or being at leadership roles in international financial institutions. I mean, ask the president of the World Bank, what's your stance on slavery? What is the World Bank actually doing on this? You're the largest development bank in the world by far. Uh, That's probably a a useful conversation. Um, The the consistency of high-level diplomacy. Uh, You know, we talked about it before. When the president is is talking to a foreign leader where there's an issue, is slavery on the agenda? Because the fact that it's not on the agenda is also a signal that we don't care. Uh, So that needs to be consistently on the agenda. Uh, I, I would ask this committee to pay careful attention to the actual implementation of the USAID CTIP policy. There's a policy on paper. Is it actually being implemented? Are they reporting on what they're actually doing in that regard? Uh, Is the TIP office, uh, is it in a structure, in a culture, in an environment where it's allowed to do its job? And so the products it produces are unimpeachable. So I think there there are, in a way, people do pay attention to that TIP report. Um, That's certainly been our experience. So being sure that that is not swayed by non by con- issues other than whether or not the country's making progress on slavery is, is really critical. So those are some things I would suggest, sir. Mr. McCain.
3: I completely agree with what Mr. Middleburg just said because uh, what has happened in some cases is, is uh, it's made the TIP report meaningless. Uh, in, especially with what happened re- most recently. Um, in my opinion, of course, putting it on, on the discussion table at every high-level meeting, at, at everything you all do, because we rely on you to, to carry the, the U.S. message around the world. I would love to be a fly on the wall, Senator Cardin, at the next meeting you have, talking to a world leader. That would just be great entertainment for me. I'd love it. (laughs) Um, But but those kinds of, my point being, those kinds of very frank discussions are necessary, because all too often the people that are meeting with you are also making money off these slaves. So uh, it's, we have to be tough on this, because we're talking about children and and the lives of human beings, and unless we are, it's like good parenting, unless we are consistent and firm, we're not gonna get anywhere, and that starts at home.
10: Well, I appreciate your answers, and I uh, I think they're all important. I very much am interested in the international financial institutions. For example, we have corruption initiatives uh, uh, as part of it. There isn't any reason this couldn't be included, so I will uh, raise those with some of the leaders. And, and the supply chain question, I think is also very important. Uh, if you can uh, know everything you need to know to mitigate uh, any tort claim, you should be able to do know everything to mitigate any claim on
1: human trafficking. So, thank you very much. I, I want you more than the fly on the wall. I want you in the room with me as we're talking. <laughs> that <today. It laughs> help can a great deal.
3: Too, so I'm with you, <laughs> Sen-
1: Senator Markey. And let me also say about Senator Menendez, I really want to thank him for his uh, leadership on this issue. He's brought forward uh, legislative initiatives. He's been an incredible leader for many, many years on this issue. His, his um, standing up for the TIP report during um, some very difficult moments uh, where people try to distract the discussion, Uh, Thank you for staying strong on this issue. Thank you,
10: Mr. Chairman. Maybe uh, we can have Mrs. McCain be an honorary uh, senior staff member of the uh, committee (laughs) so she can sit in on the (laughs) Senator Markey. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, very
11: well, uh, very much. And uh, thank you, Mrs. McCain. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Middleburg, for your uh, leadership on these issues, for everything that you're doing. Uh, And thank you to the two victims who are here. Your your experiences are harrowing uh, to hear about. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of courage for you to then turn that into something which is positive that is coming here to testify, giving leadership, giving voice to these issues, and so we appreciate the courage it takes for you. Many can't do what you do. You have that extra ingredient of courage to uh, come before us, but you should know that we're listening to you on this committee, that it's worth it for you to step out. And it's worth it for you to encourage other people to step out, because the more that that happens is the more that this committee and other members of the Senate can help you uh, to have your cause you know, be given a voice that's more powerful than yours. But you are inspiring all of us today by your presence. And so I, I, here's what I'd like to do, if I could. Um, I'd like to give each of you kind of a minute and a half to just summarize for a minute and a half each one of the, of the witnesses. What's the one and a half minutes that you want us to remember as a committee as we're dealing with this issue so that we won't forget the charge which you're giving us here today? Um, can I start with you, Leah? Absolutely. And ask you to uh, tell us what that message would
6: be. Yes, one and a half minutes? One and a half minutes. (laughs) all right. I need to figure this thing out. Um, So for me, what I would like for you guys to take with you from this, um, my experience from sex trafficking to labor is education, prevention, um, and then the aftercare for the victim after everything is said and done. Because it's so easy to prosecute the trafficker and then forget about the victim. And that happens more often times than not. So to have an organization that really puts emphasis on the aftercare as well as the education and the prosecution um, is huge. Um, There's just so much to be done after a victim is brought back into society. It goes from their own education. It goes to health care. It goes to, in my case and a few others, therapy. Um, So, for me, to let you know about education, prevention, and aftercare, um, and that's huge. And that didn't take a minute and a
5: half, so (laughs) I'll I'll let Ms. Chumbo speak. But it was great. Thank you. I'll try, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much, Senator. And I do agree with what Leah said. But for me, really, the message that I want you all to take back, to think about this, you're dealing with humans. These are human beings. It could be your brother, your sister, your child. So whatever we're advocating for, yeah, you have to think about it. What if it's your family member? We really want this law to really be implemented and help all these people to get out of the situation. And most importantly, to for people to understand that trafficking, human trafficking, is not only sex; it's everything, it's all. And if we we can just work together as one and just know that we want to save of life of human beings. You know, being a victim at such a young age, I have trauma, but. Think about that, it can be your child, it can be your sister, so just, just focus on that. Thank you.
11: Thank you, and again, thank the two of you. You're, you're, you're a force of nature here in the committee today. It, it just, it's just so powerful to have you here. Mr. Middlebury.
4: Uh, thank you, Senator. Um, here, here's the message I'd like to leave with the committee, if I might. I'm here actually with my wife, uh, Fran. Uh, Fran is um, a, a direct descendant of the Lovejoy family And the Lovejoys were very prominent uh, abolitionists in the pre-Civil War era. Uh, Owen Lovejoy was a member of Congress, in fact, and a fierce advocate for the abolition uh, of slavery. Uh, My own grandfather, uh, Reuven, Robert Middleburg, uh, survived uh, Auschwitz as a slave laborer. He was a a jeweler and a watchmaker uh, by profession. And the reason he was kept alive was to fix what the Nazis were stealing uh, from the Jews uh, in in the camp. Um, and I, I think that uh, my grandfather and friends' ancestors would be shocked that we're here before this committee today still talking about slavery and it still exists. And what I would ask of this committee, of the Congress, of the next president, is that we should not allow our grandchildren to be having the same conversation we need to act with a desperate sense of urgency so that when our grandchildren talk about slavery, they're going to talk about it as an historic relic. And they, they will look back on us with admiration and say we were the generation that brought it to an end.
3: Thank
11: you so much, Mr. Marbaro. Mrs. McCain.
4: First of all,
3: thank you very much for having me today. Um, This issue is is extremely important to to all of us that are sitting here today, but it's extremely important to a generation of children that we may lose to this. Um, As Mr. Middleburg so eloquently said, the United States is the beacon. We are the beacon around the world. And if I could could instill anything in all of you, um, continue that, but not only continue the message that we that we have but also continue holding the United States accountable for this. We can't very well run around the world and say you need to stop doing this when we're not doing it ourselves. So if you, I I so appreciate the work that all of you do and more importantly I appreciate your voice uh, around the world. So every time you go talk about this issue. Every time you go. And I know you do. But um, this issue is too important not to talk about.
11: Thank you. And and again we thank each of you for your contribution uh, to this uh, effort. And thank you, Mrs. McCain, because you add uh, the spotlight to the issue that it otherwise would never uh, receive. But uh, And what state wa- was uh, Congressman Lovejoy from?
4: He was from uh, Illinois, sir.
11: Illinois, interesting.
4: But the reality is that
11: we had to fight a civil war in order to eradicate slavery. That's how hard it was. And we had to fight World War II to stop the Nazis from exterminating the Jews and the, and the gypsies and all the others, and that's not so long ago. So we understand how deeply ingrained it is in the cultures of many countries. And the United States, once again, has to be the leader, as we were in our own country and as we were during World War II, um, to uh, to be the beacon of hope. And uh, by your being here today, you remind us that that's our role. Thank you so much.
1: Well, let me uh, just join S- Senator Markey. I- can assure you that this hearing is going to have an impact on action in this committee. Senator Corker and I are dedicated to changing the landscape here and recognize that uh, we have to take it to the next level. We're proud of what we've been able to do, the U.S. leadership, but we want to take it to the next level. And uh, I know that Senator Corker uh, has expressed some interest in some legislation and appropriations. We've already, Senator Kane's point about using the appropriation process. Uh, We're going to do everything uh, in our power to exert U.S. leadership and to have our leaders uh, be bolder on this issue on their international engagements. Uh, The committee record will remain open until noon on Friday for questions for the record. If there are questions asked, we would ask that you respond promptly to questions that are made by members of our committee. And with that, the hearing will stand adjourned. Thank you all again.